while police photographing our license plate. What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Welcome to the Reasonable Voices talk radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, and today my guest is Steve Sullivan who is the director of Being Frank, the Chris Seavey story. Steve, how are you today? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's my pleasure, my pleasure. Now, I don't want to repeat uh, Chris Stevie's mistake and get lost in his creation, but there are, it's such a fascinating story, and I want to hear about you, Steve, but let me mention some of the things about what we're going to be talking about. This documentary sure. directed by Steve Sullivan is a, an extraordinary story of a maverick British comedian and artist, Chris Seavey, and his alter ego, which is the guy you got to watch, Frank Sidebottom. Steve Sullivan's debut feature documentary, Being Frank, the Chris Seavey story, tells a twisted tale, if you please, of split personalities, such as I've never seen, that's for sure. Uh, Chris Seavey was a songwriter, an artist, a comedian, uh, he was a genius, to be sure, uh, even if we didn't always understand what he did. He was a man whose life was uh, a fantastic, subversive piece of performance art. I think I read that somewhere. Married uh, to his dedicated wife after only a few weeks during their lunch hour. And yet, uh, life, uh, she, she just stood by him through everything. So, now that's what the documentary, the overview of, of the subject of the documentary, Chris Seavey, but how does he become subverted by his creation, being frank, that uh, that's a large part of your documentary. Yes, Steve? Yeah, it's, I mean, really the film is about Chris's relationship with his fictional creation. Um, unlike a lot of creators... You know, um, people invent personas or alter egos, but normally you know who the creator is. And um, there's a lot of showbiz, you know, personalities over the years who are a fictional front for somebody else, but it's always obvious who the person is. But with Frank Sidebottom, this was a very different thing. This, This was essentially, for anyone who hasn't seen him, a man wearing a fake papier-mâché head. Mm. Um, and and over, over here in the UK, Frank existed in the public 
consciousness for about three decades as just a man in a head. And that's all anybody knew him as. Nobody knew who was inside the head. Uh, nobody knew who was creating him or, um, or why he was doing any of these things. He was just this kind of really strange, unusual, like what we, would, what we would have called in the old days, like a variety act. Yes. Um, in that he was a he was a singer, he was a comedian. Uh, he did all kinds of different things. and worked in all kinds of different artistic mediums, like illustration or stop motion animation. But everything was done as Brent Sidebottom, and no one knew who that was. It was just this man in a head who did these incredibly strange, sometimes very absurd uh, jokes and and performance art like act, and and all through the kind of the prism of the character. So um, I just kind of grew up watching this guy on TV and hearing him on the radio. And, you know, he was kind of, in, in a very small edge of the mainstream kind of way, he was famous in, in Britain. Um, but I was always fascinated by him and I just wanted to know who, who's inside and what, what, what on earth does he think he's doing. Mm. You know, it's interesting because... Uh, I was going to ask you, how is it you decided to make this this film? But I understand now you grew up watching him on television. And it's a bit, uh, it's different. I, I, I mentioned in passing uh, an artist friend of mine who, who is in, I believe, Brussels as we speak, who um, makes these big heads, but but does, they're never used in the way that uh, Chris Seavey uh, used them. And as you say, he he got lost, and I understand now that I'm hearing from you, having watched this growing up, I see now how, I understand better how that worked uh, on the public and for the public, because they really worship this, the man in the, with the with the uh, paper mache head and and didn't know who he was, but they were, they were like, he was like a mecca for... Um, for they're just being crowd pleasing. I'm putting it oversimplified, but help me out there. What what you what drew people? Since you were one of them, obviously, what drew such crowds to, uh, to be so fascinated by him? I, I think because Frank is so many things, I and mean, you can read into it a lot depending on who you are, what you want to see in it. But I think for a lot of people. Um, I think the mystery initially for a lot of people was interesting of, of who, well, who is it? We don't know who it is, but also after a while, this is the strangest thing, is that you start to take Frank, or, you, or at least you did when he was alive, you started to take this character for real. And and you, people have said to me that they forgot about, it doesn't matter who's inside in the end, it, 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 it was so... His performance of the character was so brilliant, so versatile, that, that he just became a real person in his own right. So the fiction became real. And I, and I think over the decades, what was really happening to Chris is that the fiction became more and more real, and his real life became less and less real. And that's kind of what the film starts to explore is over the years, what was going on inside that head and what was Chris's kind of changing relationship with the character. And also, why did he come up with it? And, and what, for me, as a, as a creative person, one of the things I always found fascinating is why would any creative person, I mean, you know, want to put work out there into the world and never get the credit for having created it? He let all the credit go to the fiction because people didn't know there was anybody apart from the fiction. So, you know, Frank had, had at times, incredible success, and, and, and Frank got all the credit. 
um, that were the, the real creative genius inside wasn't getting any credit. Um, but that was his own fault. <laughs> that was, yeah. you know, the, the secret identity was part of what he liked about it. And yes. I, thought, I think of what he came to in some ways resent about it. But, it, but yeah, it's, um, it's all of his own making. Yeah. And, and you know... It's kind of fascinating aspects that, 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 that have fueled me over the years to, to keep pursuing the story, really. And, and it's what, part of what makes it so rich as, a, as, as an unusual tale of a creative life. And you know, I and I hear you, and I and it's it's how I responded to watching your film, by the way, that he had, of course, as Chris Seavey, been all of these artistic things, and uh, but he was he was, shall we say, eccentric in in that um, he didn't feel any real urge to pay bills, but <laughs> and you know, and he saw <laughs> he approached life in ways that most of us would be afraid to try. But he, but some of, but in his real life as Chris Seavey, he did these things because, of course, that was him in the head. So he, but with when he was embodied by the big head of Frank, perhaps it gave him. I don't know. It. I think it. I think it diminishes him even further if we say it gave him cover. I. I think. I think Chris Seavey would have been perfectly happy being Chris Seavey, but. He created Frank, and and Frank took on a life of its own. But its life, its performance life, anyway, was still Chris Seavey. I hope I'm not confusing people. <laughs> Straighten us out, uh, Steve. Am I close? It still confuses me after five years. Um, um, but that's part, yeah, that's part of why it's, it's, such a, it's such an interesting tale, I think, is that there's so many levels to it. Yes. Um, I, think for, I think for Chris, you know, Frank served quite a few functions. Um, one was that it, I think he really enjoyed, as a, as a, I mean, this was a deeply subversive performance artist who I think he enjoyed confounding people. Mm. I think he enjoyed annoying people sometimes he enjoyed taking the joke too far and and he enjoyed uh, sometimes telling jokes or, or, or creating a kind of performance that left people baffled i think he liked that uneasiness um but but i think it, what it, the, the thing that the frank persona also serves for the man inside is that it allowed him license to do whatever he wanted to do exactly frank he, frank is oblivious to the real world around him. He just kind of crashes through the real world in a, in a totally blinkered, really positive, really friendly way. But inside that, there's a subversive artist going, I can do whatever I want. Yes. Nobody knows I'm in here. And no one can tell any, no one can tell me off. All you can do is tell Frank off, but Frank doesn't care. And Frank's not even aware that you're telling him off half the time. Um, <laughs> you know, um, and, and when you, when you factor into that, that, that you've got this guy who's wearing a head, but the actual physical mechanics of that head were that Chris couldn't really see very much out of the head. Mm. So, so you've got, this, you've got this character who played like, I mean, when people see Frank perform, he often plays a keyboard. He plays it in a, in a terrible but beautiful way. That mm-hmm. um, it is, it is appalling. You know, in terms of like the technicalities of being a musician, Frank is an awful musician. Yes. But I think part, of, I think part of that. Well, that's the joy for people as well. As you're watching somebody doing what on the surface is a really terrible act, um, and there's a lot of fun to be had with that. And, and certainly, Frank and Chris milk that for all it's worth. Yes. Um, 
it's, I think it's also functionally the fact that Chris can't really see that keyboard that he's playing. Um, he can't really see the audience half the time. He can't, he can't see more than like a foot in front of him in any direction. Um, so, but he uses, he, you know, he uses that to, to make um, some of that obliviousness part of Frank's personality and it makes Frank into a kind of Superman figure in that he just has this like super confident persona that he can do anything he wants everything he does is brilliant even when he's making an absolute mess of it um, and, and I think the man inside who was quite a shy person according to people mm. you know was, was enjoying that for a lot of the time he was enjoying and feeding off this, this kind of you know being the Clark Kent persona really of no one knows it's me and I can do anything I want and no one can stop me mm. uh, and I can't really hear them if, they, if they're not enjoying it um, uh, so I think it works for Chris on that level but really I think you know what the thing that, that emerged to me after going through Chris's archive of, of all his personal possessions for years and, talk, and tracking down in, in a kind of investigative way all the people that he ever worked with and asking them what was he really like the thing that emerges is that and I, and I didn't know this when I started making the film, is that for a decade or more, he had a really heroic attempt to have his own career under his own name, in his own right, singing, singing beautiful, fantastic, catchy pop music that he, that he put out under his own name. Um, and he was, he was the front man of a band called The Freshies. He, he released stuff as Chris Stevie. And I, and I think, you, you know, you mentioned the bills before, yeah. He, he wouldn't pay the bills and he wouldn't care that he hadn't paid the bills. He didn't, those kind of practical concerns didn't matter to him because he was an artist and, he, and nothing mattered other than pursuing his own artistic muse, which is, which is brilliant, you know, but also there are consequences to that. Um, and, I, and I think that when the consequences really kicked in, after a decade or more of putting the work out as Chris Eby and never quite being able to just make it and keep himself alive, I think he invented the Frank persona as a bit of a joke. Uh, like, well, I haven't really got any fans, so he invented the, the Frank character as his biggest fan. Yes. Um, if I can't, if I can't find a fan base, I'll create my own. Um, and um, people initially were totally shocked that all of a sudden, you know, the few fans he had, maybe like fifty people, yes. were watching him do this suddenly overnight do an act where he's wearing a fake head and pretending to be somebody else and, and joking about everything, not doing the kind of serious pop music he was trying to do. And I think even those fans just dwindled. But, but what the weird thing that happened was that Frank started to pick up new fans. Yes. He thought that this guy who was, originally he was just playing the ukulele mm. and singing really bad cover versions <laughs> of pop music that was, that was popular at the time. Like, he would do, uh, Frank would do, um, you know, Sex Pistols songs or songs by the police or uh, Madonna. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he, uh, and, just, and just massacre the song and any integrity the song had, just, just to do it in a silly, frank way. And people started to latch on to it and go, that's actually, that's actually really good. And yeah. in that era, if you remember, like the mid '80s, when all the pop music was very serious and it was quite pompous and self-regarding, you had this guy in a fake head who's doing really bad versions of them for a joke, and, and people found it quite refreshing. So the Frank thing just took over, and it took over in a way that I don't think Chris was expecting to happen. Mm. And, and you move forward into like the mid '90s, and he had a situation where people loved the Frank Sidebottom character and they'd forgotten who he was. 
Um, yes. And it didn't matter. It didn't really matter anymore who he was. He provided something, but people went, no, we prefer that. And I think he was left as an artist looking around <laughs> through, through Frank's very limited vision, going, where, where have I gone? Um, what's happened to me and what's happened to my desire to make music as myself? Um, yes. And, you know, um, the rest of his life was, was about trying to reconcile that, I think, and trying to find his own way out of Frank's head um, so he could forge a new career or go back to his career with Chris Levy. You know, uh, all of that was brilliantly explained, and I, uh, it hits me when you talk to me about it, I have the same feeling, reaction, uh, that I had watching your film, and that is, it's a beautiful story, but it, but it is, it's a painful story, too, because you're, you're pleading, you, while you're cheering on this, this genius that can do such ridiculous things and, and, and attract so many people and make them laugh and run up on the stage and all of that, at the same time, as a fellow artist, I'll ask you this on the other side, we need to take a break, but do you ever feel like I feel, like, gee, we relate to him and we know he wants to come out of that head, quite literally. Stay with us, everyone, please. We are talking to director Steve Sullivan across the pond as we speak, um, uh, and his uh, documentary film being Frank, which is the Chris Seavey story. And we're going to hit a little more on who Chris was before and after Frank when we return. Stay with us, please. And now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. Hollywood movies work because they push buttons that create predictable emotional reactions. Today's film is a polished production from Mexico and pushes many of the same buttons. Under the Same Moon is about the human consequence of inequity. It is set in the world of illegal aliens under the constant fear of capture. Rosario has become an illegal immigrant in L.A. to support her son, Carlito, who has remained with Grandma in Mexico. When Grandma dies, Carlito, now 10 years old, decides to smuggle himself across the border to search for his mother. Carlito and Rosario have always talked on the phone every Sunday, and she has carefully described to him the little phone booth she regularly uses for the call. His only hope for finding her is to find that phone booth before Sunday. He knows that once she finds out he is missing, she may never return to the same booth, and he would never find her. His journey is a tense one, rich in character development, detail, and danger. There are many gritty and troubling films set in the world of the illegal alien. Under the Same Moon provides us with a touching opportunity to consider the whole subject in the context of a richly entertaining film. Indie Film Minute, not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices Talk Radio Show. My guest today, director Steve Sullivan. In Wales, as we speak, Steve Sullivan is, has directed an extraordinary uh, documentary film about Chris Seavey. It's called The Chris Seavey Story, but it's being Frank. Frank was a, a big paper mache head character. The head was being Frank. And uh, the, the documentary is directed by Steve Sullivan. A lot of names, I know. We'll straighten them all out as we go. We've been talking in the last segment about much about the, the creation uh, of uh, Chris Seavey of Frank 
side bottom. The big head, paper mache, Frank side bottom. I'd like if we could, uh, Steve Sullivan, director, if we could go back in in Chris Seavey's life a bit. I know we've we both said you know he's a he was a songwriter, an artist, a comedian. Uh, off in his own world in many ways. He enjoyed uh, creating chaos through his art and performance. And he he certainly made in his own personal life choices that flew in the face of uh, uh, conformity and what we most of us would probably call normal day-to-day living. But one of the things I picked up from your documentary, going, going to Chris Seavey himself, I mentioned the happy marriage. I wondered where the name Freshies came from. It was, weren't they labeled too crazy to care or something? The Freshies? Uh, yeah, well, well, you could certainly say that as a, that could almost be the, um, uh, the tagline of the band. They were too crazy to care. Um, the name, I think the name the Freshies came kind of as a reaction to what was going on in Manchester at the time. And we were talking about the late 1970s when everything, uh, the punk, movement was just happening and then out of that in Manchester you've got all kinds of bands that come out of that post-punk movement like mm-hmm. Joy Division being being probably the most famous with the Buzzcocks and all that um, Joy Division were if you know the music are very I mean they were, you know they were beautiful bands who mm-hmm. made incredible music that's really important but it's very dour and melancholic and bleak and uh, kind of nihilistic and, and it certainly went with the Manchester of the time Britain at the time in the late 70s was a very depressed place you know there were a lot of strikes and poverty and all, all the rest of it particularly unemployment was very high there was a lot of bleak nihilism going around mm-hmm. and, and the punk movement and the joy division all fit up with the freshies and Chris he, because of his unique personality, when he decided he was going to make a band, he wasn't interested in being part of anyone else's scene. He was his own scene. Um, and, he, and his personality was very positive, and it was very much about seeing the silliness of life and seeing the absurdity of life and the, and the joy in that. So kind of, a, kind of an opposite reaction to the same kind of worldview, I guess. Um, but So he wanted to create a band and create music that was very bright, and uh, poppy and, and excited and, and so freshies I think was just a, a really fresh exciting kind of term and, and that's the kind of music that they made it kind of happy pop at a time when as I say everyone around him and all the you know bands like The Fall and people like that all these other people were doing something that was very different and they thought they were alternative but, but collectively they're kind of part of the same scene whereas Chris was kind of so single-minded as an artist and songwriter, he couldn't fit into anybody else's scene. He would he would be the alternative to the alternative. Mm. And again, I have the benefit of having seen the the film. I, 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 I'm going to, I'm not going to give it away, I promise, but there is a moment in your documentary, Steve, where Chris is playing with his, one of his children on, uh, yeah. on the carpet. And this little gesture that he does, Chris, and then the gesture is picked up by his child, and it just says so much. And that it's part of the film, I I'm just want to ask you, because you, of course, chose what we see. What was it about that moment that made you, or did you have that moment? This has got to be in my documentary. Um, as soon as I saw it, I mm. I guess the moment you're talking about, without giving it away, is, is just 
like it, it seemed really universal to me as a gesture. It's just a father doing something playful, mm-hmm. and and then his son instantly copies him in the most remarkable way. And yes. I guess that's quite universal. That's about just parenting, and you know, half the world experiences that every day, probably. So, um, for a film that is very has a lot of cultural specificity in it, if that's even a real word. Um, uh, you know, and it's, it's about this man growing up in this obscure part of Manchester and all the rest. Um, there, there are moments in his life which, which do transcend all of that regionality and just become these universal gestures. Um, but it, but it's, as well as that moment, I thought what it also does is it, it shows that Chris really was somebody that people wanted to copy. Not just his son looking mm-hmm. up to his dad, but Chris, Chris was a kind of Pied Piper figure. Somebody, somebody yes. just used that phrase to me. You know, Frank was a kind of Pied Piper as well. People liked to follow him and like to, you know, unfortunately for Chris, they like to follow Frank, the fictional creation, more, yes. more than the creator. Um, uh, but, um, yeah, they did like to just follow him around and copy what he did. And, and he had a kind of charismatic personality. Um, and I don't think he really necessarily was forcing that or intended it I think just as a person you know, some mm. people have that and he was one of those people that just had it even when he's at home playing with his kids exactly. you know people, people just kind of idolised him and, and instinctively wanted to be around him and to know him and to copy him yeah you see that later with Frank Sidebottom you get all the fans who make their own heads you know, and yes. they used to go to gigs wearing wearing fake heads, or they would just turn up in the village where he lived wearing fake heads sometimes and walk around and want to have their photographs taken there. And um, he just he is like a kind of one man cult, really. Yes, or, or he was on on a but on a really small level. You know, that's mm. kind of what's so interesting about him is that you know he never became this like enormous. Even even at the height of the Frank Sidebomb persona, neither Chris or Frank ever really became that mainstream successful he was this kind of and you because he because you never knew what he was doing mm. he was he was like a kind of outsider artist with his own agenda that he would not tell you what it was so you i you either trusted him that it was interesting or you didn't mm. and you know there was a lot of people that disliked him or disliked the front side bottom thing as well as the people that really loved it there was a lot of people that just went back that's really weird, um, <laughs> um, and I and, and I'm afraid of that, or I don't like it, or it's just too abnormal. Mm. Um, but for me, you know, you can't you can't you can't be too abnormal um, outsider. Um, I, I always find everything about that kind of fascinating. Anyone who's trying to make their own way through life and live their own life on their own terms, it, 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 to me, it's it's fascinating. It is fascinating, and he. He jumped into, if that's the way to explain it, to personalized video uh, before video was really yeah. the thing to do, right? Sure, yeah, you could order a video of him. You could, back in, back in we're talking about like the early 1980s, um, you could actually write to Chris and order uh, like a VHS video tape from him of his band. And he had all different kinds of videos he used to make. But what he would do was he'd put a personal message on your video directly to you mm. um, and so it, you know some of these people have you know so these are like these are these are like um, collector's items now made by a band made, made by a band as merchandise but but they are individual they are made for one person wow. um now no 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 other band at the time like you know duran duran for example were not doing that mm-hmm. they just 
they wouldn't have been bothered. They wouldn't have been bothered to individually make a videotape for an individual band. But to Chris, it was all about having an individual uh, or unique dialogue with these fans, with having direct communication with them. And he didn't ever care how long that would take him to do or how much money he was making for that. It, the communication was what was of value to him. Um, and he did it as Chris Seavey. He did it later when he did just fully became and threw himself into the persona of Frank. You can order videos from Frank and you would get an individual message on the start of your tape <laughs> from Frank's eye bottom. Yes. Um, and it, and, it, and it must have taken him hours to do these, you know. Yes. It must, he must have been up all night, all night doing them. It's 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 an absolutely commercial. Uh, it's a commercial loss leader. You know, it would take you more time than it would be worth to do. But to him, it was worthwhile as a gesture. And and I tell you what, the people that have those tapes mm-hmm. still, it is like their absolute pride and joy. You know, they 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 hold on to them so closely and. And passionately because it has a message from their hero, yes. whether their hero was Chris or whether it was Frank Sidebottom. Yeah. It has a direct message to them from their hero on, on the start of it. Um, and, the, and the beautiful, as you say, hardly any, we're talking about some of these videos from like 1980. Yes. Virtually no one had a video recorder, let alone a video camera, yes. let alone the wherewithal to, to think to operate it. To make this into like a person, yeah, to operate it, <laughs> make it into a personalised creation um, yes. so it's, it's extraordinary I mean it's like it's like a Facebook message but but, but 30, 40 years earlier yes. and, and in the most labor, laborious technological <laughs> way that really isn't worth the time to actually do it but he, for him it was worth it and the proof of, the proof of, of whether it was worth it or not is you see the guy in the film who talked about the personal messages he still has and then you see the messages from Chris um, you can see on his face and you can hear it in his voice how much it means to him so you know it was totally worth it yes and you know one more thing about Chris Seavey before we go back to his creation Frank Sidebottom Chris Seavey did a, a camouflage record where side A was a song and side B was computer data that allowed you to insert it in your computer, yes? And it gave you a visual yeah. of the song? Tell us about that. That's fascinating. I mean, yeah, well, and, and when it happened. It is fascinating. Uh, it was probably based from around, I think, 1982, um, so really early in the home computer, you know, movement. Um, and this is, this is kind of very symptomatic of Chris all the way through his life, is that any medium at all he could adapt to and work in. He was the most incredible craftsperson, but he had one of those brains that could just, like, you know, people talk about Mozart, and they say that when he first saw a piano at the age of five, he just knew what to do with it. Mm. And Chris was one of those people that you could show him any kind of discipline, whether it was recording, studio, or a piece of paper, and some crayons uh, or a computer and he knew how to what to do with it how to get his message across so so the story goes that he, his wife sent him out to pay the telephone bill and he didn't pay the telephone bill mm-hmm. he saw a computer in a shop window and he brought it home and she said have you paid the bill and he said i bought this and i'm going to make a computer game and he did mm. he sat there and he just stayed he stayed up day and night until he taught himself to program in, in like, I'm sure you remember basic, the computer language, he programmed computer games, and, and he not only did that, he managed to achieve it at a time when virtually no one had heard of computers, but, but he then had the crazy idea to release a record where the A side is the song and the B side is the, is a computer-generated video for the song with the lyrics. I know. But, but it's incredibly complicated. 
incredibly convoluted that you have to record the B-side of the song to a cassette. You have to load that information into the computer, and which was like a Spectrum home computer, and, and then turn the, turn the record over and play the A-side at the same time as you're playing the video on your computer and only then you've got to stink it up and uh, and as his manager says as well a record is the wrong medium to store a computer program because it degrades it's a, you know you put, you put a needle on it and eventually it will scratch mm. and then you can't load that into a computer anymore so we've not even the right medium to store computer information um, but to Chris just none of that mattered what mattered was getting his message out and getting getting his work out and, and if, he felt, if he felt it was worth doing it was worth staying up you know, every day and night for three weeks to learn to program a computer. And, you know, he was an innovator and he he just had, as I said, he had one of those minds that he could turn it, to, he could turn any different medium to his advantage and to, to get it to support how he wanted to put his work out there, his message. And if it meant being innovative, that all, all the better as far as he was concerned. You know, it's fascinating, game as I listen to you and I... I, I and remembering the prep I, I went through for the show, uh, but hearing you talk about it just adds a, a number of different layers and uh, in-depth layers as to what we get to see. And we should talk about when we're going to see this. Uh, director Steve Sullivan, of course, is our guest. And uh, we're talking about March 12th through the 14th screening dates. Uh, Alamo Ritz won on Tuesday, March 13th at 9 p.m. That will be the world premiere, right, Steve? Yep, in, in Austin, Texas, at South by Southwest. Yeah. Yes. Unbelievable. And uh, Stateside Theater on Wednesday, March 14th at 4.15 p.m. And then again at the Alamo Ritz 2 on Saturday, March 17th at 11.30 a.m. Um, and you're working with the piece of cardboard productions in association with OF Film. Film, film, film Camry Wales, um, who are the regional film uh, body here in here in Wales in the UK. And um, yeah, the films also supported by 104 Films and by Fat Control and Management Limited, um, and and of course by 3,000 people who are French side bottom fans who over the last five years have put their money into this film through Kickstarter just, just to help it even get off the ground. So there is an enormous crowd-funded element to this project of, of thousands of backers who are, who are really passionate about Frank Sidebottom as a, as a creation and, and, are, and have been his fans you know, for decades. And they, they just was the most incredible groundswell of support when I said, I'm going to make this film, who, who can help me? Um, people just... just money in their thousands to get it off the ground and they would never have got off the ground without that but that, that shows the level of dedication of people out there who already know of this guy's work as mad as it may sound to any of your listeners um, but, but, but absolutely love what he did and think it was a like, huge lasting cultural value yes and that's it that's the phrase uh, a cultural value and lasting still giving obviously uh, years after he was well ahead of his time I think that's a overused cliche, but he was in so many ways, artistically, culturally, uh, as a father even perhaps we might say. But uh, returning just briefly, because we do have to go, the the documentary directed by St- Steve Sullivan, our guest today, is Being Frank. That's Frank Sidebottom. Frank Sidebottom is a big head, uh, of paper mache, and the artist Chris Seavey, put the head on and became this character, being Frank. 
until the point that Frank Sidebottom, the creation of Chris CV, as you'll see in uh, director Steve Sullivan's documentary, Frank Sidebottom became, the creation became the bigger story, but I think because, and we'll let Steve go out on this, how he feels about this, I think because it allowed Chris CV to be all the things he wanted to be, to express himself in his art and his view of life inside the head of Frank Sidebottom. You tell us, Steve, how, what do you want us to take away from this? It's been grand talking to you, but take us out any way you wish. Well, it's been absolutely lovely, and, and to talk to your listeners as well. Um, I, 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 you know, for me, the, the biggest, the most exciting thing, this is the film I've been making for five years now, and, you know, it, the, even the process of making it has been about going through one one man's life in, in really tiny detail, which has been the most incredible privilege. But it's, it, it, the film does tell the most extraordinary story of what one person went through to live his life as a creative figure uh, in, in a heroic way, in a way that will come across as deranged and hilarious and moving and tragic and, and silly and absurd. And it's all those things, really. And it's, but I, I hope that when people see it, and by the way, South by Southwest is only the start of this film being shown. It's going to hopefully show around the world over the, over the course of the next year. Um, so hopefully more of your listeners will get to hear it. But it's, it's, um, I hope that people have as much um, shock discovering that this entire creative life came and went in the late 20th century and, and, you, and you probably never encountered it. Mm. Um, and, and, I, and I hope people get to encounter it and get to go, whoa, there was, not, not only did this guy do all these really interesting, bizarre, innovative, um, wacky, um, subversive acts, but also, there's probably lots of other people out there in far-flung corners of the globe who are living lives, you know, that are as individual um, that we don't necessarily get to hear. And that, for me, that gives me a lot of optimism. You know, yes. um, I think it's great when any, when anybody just just pursues their own course, um, as long as they're not hurting anybody else. But if you're trying to make, we only get one life, and if you're trying to make your own mark in the world, and you're trying to just do your absolute best every day to just to say, here I am. I have a brief period of time on this earth and I'm trying to just do my best to tell you how I think and feel about the world, then I think that's a life really well spent. And, um, and Chris never, ever stopped doing that until, unfortunately, in the end, he, he like we all do, he had to stop. Mm. Um, but, um, yeah, I hope your listeners get to see it and I hope they enjoy it. Absolutely. Uh, gee, being frank, the Chris Seavey story... World premiere, Alamo Ritz won on Tuesday, March 13th at 9 p.m. And uh, as uh, its director, Steve Sullivan, says, it will be going around the world, I'm sure. What an experience, both the film and talking with you, Steve Sullivan. So appreciate you being on the show today and wish you all the best. And wish the best of Frank Sidebottom and most of all, perhaps, wish the best that we can all be more like Chris. Thank you so much for being on the show. <laughs> Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Mine too. Bye now. And now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. The tagline for one of our favorite indies, How often do you find the right person? The obvious answer is its title, Once. It's the simplest love story imaginable. Boy meets girl, boy and girl fall in love. 
These two lovers, known only as the guy and the girl, are magnetic. He's a busker who earns a living fixing vacuum cleaners while pouring his heart into writing and singing his songs on the streets of Dublin. She is a Czech immigrant who needs her vacuum repaired. And by the way, she's a piano player who writes and sings her own songs. The characters are lovable and charming, the simple plot lines are unforced, and the ending is emotionally challenging, touching, and believable. And let's not forget the magnificent music. A Grammy Award-winning soundtrack, including Falling Slowly, which won the 2007 Academy Award for Best Original Song. It took years to get this touching little love story filmed, ultimately on a skeleton budget. It has now been adapted into a Broadway musical. Once is an oft-expressed excuse for the creative artist. I'll start to work once this happens or once that happens. Thankfully, once did happen. Feed your heart. Indie Film Minute, not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard around the world. Heroes, Demons, and Hellfire. Trump and Kim Jong-un. Suppose heroic global grown-ups take seriously the balance of power now in the hands of the White House and North Korea. What if Iran-Contra Saint had blessed Donald Trump's invocation to advocate the art of the nuclear deal between the Soviet Union and government is the problem creator? Imagine a self-serving Congress, dominated by men, terrified of a shady-dealing, vengeful dictator of an obstruction-of-justice email, hell-bent on launching a missile attack on congressional health care, erected a firewall of invested investigations to cure ALS, Alzheimer's, and Medicaid for America's human bookends, children and seniors. Maybe Frank Hopper's D.C. existed periodically, but world wars and Cold War produced a new world order with a foggy bottom, evacuating with abnormal frequency a military-industrial complex. So, who wouldn't be concerned about an unprecedented president sipping coffee atop the throne of our democratic republic? Evidently, 30% of us. After 1917 and World War I mustard gas, a call for morality, even in war, began its long journey on the we-can't-beat-God-giving road to glory. A hundred years later, however, good Samaritans are still outgunned, and every hero demon-challenged. Nonetheless, we persist. Even in the age of the Swamp Thing, we have heroes. Senators Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren, Susan Collins, Lisa Mazursky, Congresswoman Maxine Waters, Sally Yates, Marilyn Nance, J.K. Rowling, and Ida B. Wells. However, knowledge is still intel. In July 1950 of the Unknown War, American soldiers killed hundreds of Korean civilians near a village called No Gunrai. And throughout Truman's police action, over two million North Korean civilians were killed. Thus, just as the Treaty of Versailles created Hitler, we created Kim Jong-un. Arguably, we hold these truths to be self-evident. A nation's moral code is only as strong as its people's weakest link. Alt-right, hellfire bent on spinning Obama's global view off our world stage. 
People insisting America is for only white Christian men honor flags that dishonor our Constitution while genuflecting America before statues of anti-America Americans savoring memories of the inhumane owning and defiling of fellow human beings. Defying ratification of Equal Rights Amendment twirling Elizabeth Caddy Stanton, Susan B. Anthony, and Alice Paul like trinkets on display, then laid to rest in gender inequality, diminishing LGBTQ while they preserve, protect, and defend non-existent full citizenship, income parity, voting, and pursuit of loving happiness privileges. In a land where prisons are for profits, from classrooms to cells, is too great a student debt, and banning former felons from voting booths an American-defining moment. Yet, for a century, life at war with itself has tried to bestow this wisdom upon us. There is little sustainable profit in the business of anger and oppression, but where there is individual fear and envy, anger and oppression cannot be silenced, merely contained inconsistently. Whether Wall, K, or Main Street, rich or poor, rural, suburbs, or inner city, gay, straight, or undecided, Americans, citizen and non, have been herded to the pinnacle of Trump-ordered brutality bluff, and staring back at us across the abyss are Kim Jong-un's clones towing the line for suicide by dictate. Vision blurred by pride and misplaced loyalty, each side has forgotten world histories replete with short-sighted leaders threatening all life on earth. Each side, shadowed by real and imagined demons, risk being thrust into the void to control a planet we've rendered out of control. Imagine our moral call is the last call to save us from a hellfire inflicted by demands for uncharted waters, while denying the warnings of melting icebergs and rising oceans. In 2017, America, who can we expect to make the moral call? American mayors or Trump care? Timing is divine and often auspiciously makes heroes, even saints, out of mere mortals. The 1917 New York City Civil Rights Silent Protest Parade. William Robertson Coe, philanthropist for the academic discipline of American studies. Even heroes who are not of this world, as in Fatima, Portugal, in 1917. P.S. Sam Shepard. May you rest in the peace of God which passes all understanding. Thank you. And join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Mm-hmm.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 